Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up today, Tom will talk about Lufthansa's new cabin concept, while I talk about Air New Zealand's wind problem. I'll explain why Stansted could see more Airbus A380s in the future, and Joe fills us in on Lyft's growth plans. Finally, Tom will take a look at why Ryanair is now annoyed with Berlin Airport. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And I thought I'd start with Lufthansa because I'm looking forward to flying with them on Wednesday. So I probably would have already done it by the time you hear this podcast um, from Frankfurt to Munich on the new Boeing 787. But um, they've basically decided that they're going to launch this new long haul cabin design and they've called it Allegris. Um don't know why, but why not? Um, <laughs> what I found most interesting is that there's going to be, for the first time in Lufthansa's history, they're going to have uh, fully enclosed suites in first class. So these are going to mm. have walls that reach near ceiling height. Um, they're going to have closing doors that almost cut off the suite from the rest of the cabin. And the seat is almost a meter wide, which was the thing that I was like, wow, because, um, <laughs> you know, I'm used to um, these economy seats that are less than half a meter wide. Um, <laughs> naturally, of course, the seat also converts into a bed and it also actually has a personal wardrobe in. So nice. um, that's something I've not really come across before. Um, Do they just mean a coat hook or has it actually got a door and stuff? I think it's got a door and things. Um, okay, nice. I'm assuming that the rendering that Lufthansa released is from the Airbus A300, A350-900 because um, they've got a little, you can just see a safety card in a pocket that says 900 in the top right corner. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, the the suite is fairly private. It's been designed in a, but um, it's been designed so that you're kind of on your own which if you're traveling with someone, maybe not so great. It does have a large folding out dining table and an opposite little seat. So hmm. um, if you're traveling, if we were traveling together on it, we could have dinner in the same suite. Um, you, Joe, will be pleased to know that passengers' own Bluetooth headphones can connect to the systems. Yay! Because <laughs> uh, I know that's your, your number one bugbear or like I must push Absolutely. this with airlines. Um, but yeah, we don't really know much more other than two sort of interesting photos that were released. Um, Lufthansa said it's going to tell us more about the suites in the new year. Um, business class is also getting suites, but um, not so luxurious and not the whole cabin. So the front row of business class is going to be a sort of premium business, I guess. Um, here, the suites are going to have privacy walls and doors that you don't get in the rest of the cabin. And like in first class, they're going to have a personal wardrobe because apparently that's what you need flying in 2022. Mm. Um, you've got a 27-inch <laughs> screen in the front ones, uh, and that compares to a slightly smaller screen in the the rest of the business class seats. Um, and they haven't confirmed it, but I kind of guess this is so, you know, not all of Lufthansa's planes that have a business class have a first class. So maybe it's so if you've got like a really premium passenger flying on a plane without first class, they can still kind of get that privacy. Mm. Um, but who knows? Um, it's also just a really good use of um, dead space, if you like, before the bulkhead. So, hmm. you know, we, we saw this on American Airlines render as well. They had different colored doors on the very front of their 
their business class product. And I think, you know, there's not really another way to use it unless you particularly need some extra storage for cabin crew or something. There mm. is just this kind of extra corner because you've angled all your seats. So you can just give that passenger the real estate and then charge them a bit more for the privilege. So why not? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, all of the seats in business class will now finally have direct aisle access, um, which surprisingly is not already the standard on um, Lufthansa. What I find really interesting is that I looked at the renderings of the new business class seats and compared them to the renderings of new business class seats that were first announced in 2017 and meant to be rolled out in 2018. And other than a few slightly different colors and panels moved from here to here and the odd bit, you know, it's basically the same seats that we've been sitting on for five years now. So um, maybe they will finally be launched next year um who knows again we're going to get more business class product details next spring um economy is also getting a bit of an upgrade in premium economy we're going to see the first uh, the premium economy seats that have rolled out on the swiss boeing 777 fleet they're going to go into the lufthansa long haul fleet these are going to obviously have the lufthansa colors instead of the swiss colors but for all intents and purposes, it looks like exactly the same seat. Um, again, noise cancelling technology and headphones, 15.6-inch um, screen. Um, the thing that I found quite cool is in economy class, because not only do the economy class, class seats just kind of look a bit cool and futuristic, um, they, we, you might remember, we must have talked about it on a podcast maybe a year or two ago um, on some of the really long triple, uh, 747 services. Uh, it must have been a year ago because they only brought them back a year ago. Uh, but on some of the really long Boeing 747 services, you could buy a block of free seats and just sleep on them on, on night flights. Well, um, apparently this trial went well because they're actually going to get specific um, seats that have leg rests that fold up in economy class to give you a bit more width to sleep on on these flights. Um, over 100 new aircraft joining the fleet, including the 777-9, whenever that comes, is going to have um, the new um, cabin. And it's also going to be refit retrofitted onto existing group aircraft. However, I think it's going to only be the ones that are going to not disappear anytime soon, like the 747-8, because, you know, the 747-400s, they're going to disappear when the 777-9s come. The few A34600s, I don't even know how long they've got left, uh, but I don't think it's long. And I just can't see a business case to put the economy class, uh, the new well, the new cabin on them uh, if mm. they're going. Which but they've, is... they've had the Dreamliner delivered without this new product, so, I presume. Yeah, so the Dreamliner is kind of an interesting one because it's an ex-H&A group one. It oh, was then meant to go to Vistara. So it's actually got the H&A business class in with... Uh, it's been recolored to match Lufthansa, is my understanding. But um, it's pretty similar to it's that business class seat that everyone has these days. Um, yeah. So yeah, you get the the one two one direct aisle access. Um, they're not suites though, um, like some carriers have. They're open access. Um, but it, it's it's interesting because I wonder if they're now going to get rid of that and replace it, or or what happened. Just keep because it. my yeah. my understanding was, you know, when it, this aircraft first arrived in Frankfurt, it didn't fly for about a month, and my understanding was that that was because they were putting the cabin in then. So uh, maybe that's just the economy seats. Uh, who knows? I'll tell you 
In, when you've um, been on the flight. Yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you when I've been on the flight what it looks like. <laughs> awesome. It sounds like they're going to have a very confusing collection of seat maps if, yeah. uh, you know, if they didn't bring everything into line. But really good to see they're getting directile access and about blooming time, I have yep. to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't believe there's wide, uh, wide body carriers these days that still don't offer that, but... Yeah, there's plenty, actually. There's mm. plenty. You know, we tend to think that that's the standard because it's what keeps coming across our desk. But yeah. there's a lot of catching up to do yeah. with uh, some of I the mean, older airlines. When I was Emirates to Dubai earlier this year, that was too free too. But thankfully, I never had somebody next to me on both of those flights. That is crazy. I, I don't know how you can sit in the middle seat of a three abreast paying business class fares. I would be asking for my money back. Anyway, <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit um, about Air New Zealand. So um, to tie it in a little bit, I hope you guys enjoyed our podcast with Sam Chewy last week. Um, and one of his more recent trips was, of course, the inaugural Air New Zealand flight between Auckland and New York. Um, so this was launched a great fanfare. It's one of the longest routes in the world. Everybody's very excited. But the airline has been having some problems with this route. It's a um, bit too long, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's right at the edge of the Dreamliner's envelope, basically. And uh, they've spent two years preparing. They did all their calculations, but they didn't get them right. Somebody forgot to carry the one or something. Um, because they've been forced to fly with fewer passengers and reduced luggage due to unexpectedly strong headwinds. Um, so a couple of times in the first sort of, let's say the first two weeks of service, um, they were offloading bag bags at JFK Airport. So around 65 passengers on that flight arrived back in Auckland after a very, very long time on a plane to find that their luggage was still in New York, uh, which is obviously never welcome. But worse than that, they've had to offload passengers as well. Um, so it's generally been between 15 and 20 passengers have had to be refused boarding or, well, they, they they asked for volunteers and they did offer quite a sweet little incentive if you were willing to be deplaned. Um, they were paying around $1,500 in cash compensation and giving them a night in a very luxurious hotel. I mean, I I'd mean, have gone for it. but Yeah, <laughs> this is the thing, you know, if I'm not in a rush, I'm always happy to uh, take compensation. When I was coming back from Toulouse the other day, they put me in the reddison blue for an extra night and paid for my dinner. So, yeah, I mean, what no more do you want in there. life? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, all of this is to allow them to add more fuel for the flight um, because obviously it, they can't exceed the maximum takeoff weight, but they do need enough fuel to battle these headwinds all the way back to New Zealand. Um, so, the issue has been, like I say, stronger than anticipated headwinds. And, you know, they, they had done their calculations, but but it's very challenging to kind of estimate these things, I guess, until you actually get out there and start flying the route. They do have a contingency plan. Um, on September the 23rd, they were planning to stop in Fiji for refueling. But actually, in the end, the winds dropped and they managed to get all the way to New Zealand without having to refuel. So there, there is a contingency plan in place. It's not like the aircraft is going to run out of fuel halfway um, towards its destination. But it's obviously not ideal. Um, so Air New Zealand's chief operational integrity and safety officer, a chap called David Morgan, did give us this comment. He said, we actually found seasonal winds, particularly in North America, have been significantly higher. As a consequence, the flight's taken longer. And to provide the fuel load, we had to reduce the payload, as I just described. So no real insight there. <laughs> so what's the solution to this? Well, 
longer term, they're going to be flying with less dense planes. Um, and this was kind of something the airline was planning anyway. Um, so for the time being, the JFK to Auckland route will have a cap of 180 passengers, which was previously planned as 215. So, you know, it's, it's a fair few passengers less, but I guess that gives them the flexibility to check the fuel on board they need. From 2024, it was planning to introduce its aircraft that have been fitted with the Skynest product anyway. Um, if you haven't seen this, do go and check it out. It's very cool. It's like some sort of triple layered sleeping pods that economy class passengers can book for a certain number of hours during the flight so they can get a proper uh, horizontal lie down and a good sleep. Um, but of course, it has the added benefit of lowering the load because it takes up a bit of room. So there'll obviously be less passengers on board. So I think, you know, longer term, it's all going to work out for the best. Um, but you might wonder what this means for Qantas, which also plans to launch the exact same route next year. Um, well, Qantas has the benefit of, um, I guess, hindsight or foresight. I'm not sure which, uh, but they've got nine months. Some to watch. <laughs> yeah, some sight. <laughs> they've got nine months to watch what Air New Zealand is doing and learn from that and understand the challenges that the airline has been facing. Plus, their Dreamliners are already more likely loaded than Air New Zealand's. So they won't necessarily have to cap quite as drastically as Air New Zealand has. So hopefully for them, it'll all go well. For Air New Zealand, it's not a nice lens to look at their very kind of flagship exciting route through when these passengers are unhappy. But hopefully now they've figured out the problem going forward, it'll all be smooth sailing. Mm, yeah, well, I mean, hope so. Fingers crossed for both carriers. Um, I was just going to say, I don't think I could sleep on a flight if I was given a bed, but then I realised I did that last month, so uh, comment <laughs> not valid. Um, but yeah, thanks to our regular listener, Mark, for asking that we cover that. And if you guys listening ever have something that you want us to dig into on the podcast, please do drop Joe and I an email and uh, we'll happily look into it. Um, so in my last section, I briefly mentioned the Emirates 777. Uh, I want to talk about it a little bit more now because um, everyone who knows me knows that I love London Stansted Airport and they had an announcement last week that on the face of it was really, it sounded a bit boring and like who cares, but once I actually dug into it, um, I discovered that actually I can put it in Tom's A380 News podcast segment this week. Um so what am I talking about? Well, basically, um, the the air the, the airport opened a new jet bridge. That um, you know, it means that when there's a wide body at the aircraft, so basically at the moment only um, only Emirates with their triple seven, they can offload from two doors. Um, it, which, you know, it speeds up the process because um, you've got first class and business leaving through the front and economy leaving through the back door uh, and also boarding in two doors. Um, that's, again, not so fascinating. Um, you know, they've they've got 11 other jet bridges that um, I think are mostly or operational jet bridges, mostly gathering dust um, and more that are actually gathering dust because Ryanair just refuses to use them. Um, but the the sort of really interesting thing about this 1.5 million pound project, um, in my point of view, is something. It, I must um, flag that this is complete speculation, and there's no reason to think that this will actually happen from any side. Um, but they've actually gone to the money and effort to ensure that the second jet bridge can climb up to the upper deck of an Airbus A380. Now, when you put the maths together, you know that Stansted 
it's had the A380 before. I've seen, we remember pictures from ages ago of when the High Fly one went in um, being boarded by stairs and buses. And I can only think that that's like um, a punishment reserved for one of the levels of hell. Um, but um, yeah, and Emirates has taken theirs in, not for a passenger flight, but for a charter before. And BA's flown it in for testing flights. Um, but I reckon it could perhaps become a more regular addition to Stansted Airport, because right now, Emirates flies the A380 exclusively to Heathrow, uh, I believe exclusively to Gatwick, and Stansted is the only one that doesn't have the A380. Um, you know, Emirates, London is a key market for them. I'm sure if they wanted to, uh, or you, they could fill an A380, even go to Stansted, even though it's like the third London airport. Um, and they've got the A380s free to do this. So, you know, I can imagine that there was somewhere a conversation that was like, we would maybe fly the A380 to London if you could give us an additional jet bridge that climbed to the upper deck. Because, you know, there's the only aircraft that flies, um, that needs the, the ability for the upper deck bridge. And they're the only airline realistically that's ever going to fly it to Stansted. So, you know, pure speculation, but I'm hoping that this is an indication that we'll see the Airbus, Airbus A380 becoming a regular at Stansted. That would be very exciting. Um, I guess, you know, for Emirates, they just want more A380 capacity to the UK because, uh, yeah, it's their favourite place to fly, <laughs> from what mm. I well, understand. I know um, it's quite old data now, but I remember way before COVID, you were saying that it counts for about a quarter of their capacity, the UK. That's incredible when you consider all the places they fly to mm. and the huge planes that they fly into there. Um, I wonder what it is now, whether it's still a quarter or if... Uh, Maybe some other destinations have overtaken let's, us. Let's, let's get James to dig into the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> we will, definitely. So we'll report that back on that, listeners. Um, anyway, so I wanted to just recap a little bit. Um, I hope you all tuned into my lovely webinar with John Ayash, who is the CEO of South African Airline Lyft. Um, if you didn't, then it's my chance to get, tell you a bit of the nitty gritty that we talked about. Um, so if you haven't heard of this airline, I forgive you. They, they are a South African airline flying domestic routes. In fact, in fact, they only fly one domestic route at present um, with two planes. So they're not exactly Emirates. But, you know, I find them so interesting to listen to the, their business plan and, and to hear about what they're doing differently. So it all started kind of early in COVID, I guess, just before the, the um, end of 2020, when John Ayash quit his job at Uber. He was an Uber executive. He decided he wanted to go into aviation. So to pick some brains, he met up with a chap called Gidon Novik, who is the former Kalula CEO and founder. Um, and Gidon said, actually, I'm thinking of starting an airline too. Do you want to do it together? And and they said, yeah, we will definitely. Um, they came up with the USP of putting the passenger first again. So they want to offer, I think he said they call it a hybrid airline, but they want to offer lowish fares, you know, reasonable fares, but with no hidden surprises. There's, there's no change fees. There's no um, money taken if you cancel. You don't get vouchers. You get actual money back into your account. There's no extra fees for all the essentials. Everyone gets fed and watered on the flight. Um, so, you know, really an airline that was bringing the fun back to air travel, I guess. Um, it sounds too good to be true. It does. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing very well, though. Um, and 
And in fact, despite John's absolute lack of airline experience, they started the airline from their first meeting to the first flight in just 90 days. And I think that's incredible. You know, you hear about some of these startups that have been two, three, five, ten years in the making. That yeah. just goes <laughs> to prove it can be done. <laughs> I know I know I've got my little mental sweepstakes of all of the ones coming about whether they're actually going to get off the ground. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, you know, John described the learning process as like drinking from a fire hose. It was a very steep learning curve, uh, but they wanted to get done quickly. They wanted to get up in the air as fast as possible to maximize the opportunity because at the time there was no Comair flying and there was no SAA flying. Um, both airlines did come back, although Comair's gone again now. Um, but nevertheless, they still forged a spot on one of the world's busiest routes, which is Cape Town to Johannesburg. Um, Pre-COVID, this would fly about 5 million passengers per year on that route. And it was generally served by like five or six airlines every day um, with multiple departures. So a really difficult, very competitive market. But nevertheless, um, it's been almost two years since Lyft launched and they've been getting average load factors of 90 plus, which I think is incredible. So they're filling up their planes and they're not small planes either. They're Airbus A320s. So they're, you know, your regular sort of narrow body plane. They are flying two most of the time. They can flex up to three in busy periods. How can they do that? You say, well, they've got a really interesting partnership uh, with a company called Global Aviation. Um, Global are an Acme and Charter Airlines. So Lyft uses its air operator certificate, uses its crew, uses its airplanes, um, but does all the marketing and all the customer service stuff itself. So kind of builds the reputation of the airline without any of the risk of buying or leasing its own planes and having to go after all the licenses and everything. And it gives it lots more flexibility on fleet, which I think is, you know, such an interesting way of doing things. Um, looking forward, they've got some really big growth planned, which is exciting. They're launching Durban in just a couple of weeks. So, hooray, a third destination. <laughs> I think it's launched now, hasn't it? Uh, not quite. Um, okay. Durban is launching from Johannesburg on the 26th of October. So, okay. literally just a few days after the podcast goes out. Um, and this connects what he calls the global, uh, global golden triangle of South Africa. Um, so, Cape Town, Durban, Johannesburg, around 75% of all domestic air travel in South Africa is on that little triangle of routes. Um, so to support the Johannesburg launch, they've already got two more A320s arrived and ready to go. There are two more coming before the end of the year. And as soon as it's confirmed when they arrive, they'll be added, adding Cape Town to Durban as well. Um, so this is an airline that's very much into frequency rather than lots of different destinations. It's so interesting to compare it to other startups we've talked to where, you know, they're looking for the unserved routes, the underserved routes. They're flying them maybe once a week. These guys are flying multiple rotations daily on a route that they know can sustain another airline um, because of the lack of capacity in the South African market. So, um, Coming back to that interesting model with global, um, what I think is very smart is that because it's an opposite season to Europe, so they're just going into their summer season right now in South Africa. This is their peak travel time. Um, we in Europe are just slowing down as we're coming into our winter season. Global does a lot of Acme flying in Europe. Um, so right now they can throw all their capacity down to South Africa for Lyft to use. And when it comes to South Africa's winter season, when things quieten down, Lyft can send some of the planes back up to Europe to be used there instead. Um, and yeah, it's just this incredible amount of flexibility. So 
the last point on that is, um, are they going to, going to be going international? Yes, they will. I mean, they're not coming to London with A320s from Cape Town, clearly. Frankfurt. I've seen some <laughs> South African Airways A320s here. <laughs> <laughs> they will be looking to connect Africa. So, you know, it's all about intra-African connectivity, um, very much needed in, in on the continent. Um, but there are a lot of hurdles to get over in terms of getting route rights, um, the lack of open skies, visa costs. Um, so still lots of work to be done. But for now, um, that, that was my chat with John Ayash. And I do hope you'll look it up on YouTube and see mm. the full conversation because he's a super interesting guy. Yeah. And if you can't find it, we'll link to it from our weekly podcast article. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to wrap up by talking about, uh, we mentioned Ryanair in my last um, my last point. So now I'm going to talk about Ryanair. This is how the <laughs> podcast works now. Um, so Ryanair hasn't had much luck with airport prices in Germany in its opinion. In January, it pulled out of Frankfurt as um, you pr can probably remember me sobbing on a previous podcast about this. Um, they said the airport's fees were too high. It's trimming its schedule again now, this time in Berlin. Um, so Ryanair announced that it's cutting 40% of its schedule at Berlin-Brandenburg Airport, and it cited unjustified increases in airport charges. Commenting on the cuts, O'Leary said, as Europe's largest airline, Ryanair regrets to announce the reduced winter 2022 schedule with 40% less weekly flights versus nine, uh, 2019 due to increased airport charges. As a result of these anti-customer uh, anti-consumer airport cost rises and heavy government subsidizing of high fare national champion subsidy <laughs> junkie Lufthansa, um, German air traffic has collapsed by 28% this summer, making Germany the slowest market to recover in Europe. Um, so You've got to love an O'Leary quote, haven't you? He yeah. <laughs> never minces um, his words. An, any O'Leary quote on Lufthansa, he really hates them. And I'm yeah. surprised they've... Subsidy like, junkie every yeah. time. <laughs> um, but, you know, we also spoke to Berlin Airport because it's important to get both sides of any story. Um, they told us that the fees of Berlin Airport have been set long before the opening in agreement with our customers. We did not raise any fees since the opening of the airport for Germany's capital region. When airlines evaluate the costs of a location, they take all costs into consideration. The airport fees are a minor factor in this calculation. Taxes and government fees, as the fee for the security check of the federal police, for example, have a big impact on the calculation. The overall costs are in Germany higher than in other European countries. Therefore, Ryanair is growing abroad, but not in Germany. Given the current regulation, Berlin is not allowed to reduce fees. Um, so there's where we're at, you know, um, Ryanair's saying they've put the fees up, Berlin's saying it hasn't, um, who knows, um, but um, basically they're still operating from the full service terminal as well because when Terminal 5 initially opened, or when Berlin Schoenenfeld became Brandenburg, shall I say, um, they were going to um, close the old Schoenenfeld terminal. Instead, they rebranded it Terminal 5 and decided that it would become the low-cost terminal. But then in March 2021, the airport's operators decided to close the terminal for at least a year, given the pandemic. You know, they just didn't have enough um, to keep so many facilities open. Um, so today, the terminal remains closed and Ryanair is still using the brand new Terminal 2. Um, you know, I've got no clue if it costs less to use Terminal 5 because it's an older facility or not. But um, the airport told us that the process to reopen Terminal 5 remains under review and that no decisions on reopening or permanently closing it have been taken yet. Um, you know, 
the thing is, though, Ryanair has stopped short of pulling uh, the nuclear option, which it did in Frankfurt, and just saying we're leaving altogether. Um, of course, in um, Frankfurt, they've moved a lot of their services to Hahn. Um, so if you still want to fly from Frankfurt with Ryanair, you can take a bus. Um, Yay. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, actually, what I've discovered is I'm now flying to and from Nuremberg because there's a quite a nice um, ICE train that goes directly from the city centre to Frankfurt. Um, that's the most convenient connection I've found so far. Uh, Frankfurt Rhine, but that's on a total different tangent. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, they've stopped short of completely pulling out of Frankfurt. So it'll be interesting to see how summer next year and then winter in a year's time looks. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very funny with the low cost carriers in Germany because uh, mm. EasyJet has issues with uh, some of the German airports as yeah, well, I well, seem I to mean, remember. I remember a time when EasyJet, Wizz and Ryanair flew to Frankfurt and Ryanair was the only one that stayed when um, they lost their new airline discount. Um, mm. So, yeah. <laughs> and now you've got no low cost options. Sad times. Yeah. I know, I know. Well, I think that's about all we've got time for on today's podcast. We do hope you enjoyed it and welcome your feedback and, of course, your suggestions for more articles <laughs> that we can discuss on the next podcast at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.